Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Lawless Amateur Whining. My name is Laura, and I am a little bit unprepared this week. I had a hope to watch a few more things, but I didn't get around to watching quite as many movies or even TV shows that I had hoped to watch. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit this week about the final episode of The Righteous Gemstones and how uh, The French Dispatch is now on HBO. And um, I did watch the reunion of The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. And um, then I wanted to talk a little bit about um, the new Jordan Peele movie that's coming out this year. Okay, so let's get started. I wanted to talk about the end of the Righteous Gemstones season two, which was um, this past Sunday. Once again, if you've never seen the Righteous Gemstones, you absolutely need to get on board this train. It has already left the station, but maybe you can chase it down the tracks. Um, <laughs> there's so many things that happen. So previously, if you've been watching, you know that um, Uncle Billy, Uncle Baby Billy made up with his estranged son, Harmon, who is a grown man now with a wife and kids and um, a couch that has cup holders. And uh, so this week he's gotten sort of um, like a redemption arc and he's come back into the fold. He came back to Aunt Tiffany and um, uh, John Goodman's character who plays uh, their father, Eli Gemstone. He um, had been shot previously by some psycho ninja motorcycle assassins and we uncovered them and we found out how they were connected and it was a big surprise um I guess <laughs> that they were connected to the listens I think everybody had pretty much figured that out by the last episode but we actually got to see the entire thing play out and how these motorcycle ninja assassins uh were from an orphanage that the listens were funding. So, um, <laughs> so Eli told Jesse, who is Danny McBride's character, that he was going to fund this new hotel project with the listens. And they went down to Florida and did, I guess, a groundbreaking with Joe Jonas, the Joe Jonas. And, uh, <laughs> so, at the end of last episode, Eli had thought that the Psycho Ninja assassins were sent by Junior, his old friend from back in the day, because um, he thought Junior was angry about him over some things that had happened with Junior's father. But at the end of the episode, we found out that Ginger, Ginger Junior didn't know anything about the Psycho Ninja assassins. He did not send them. He had no idea what happened. And... Um, so Eli's shocked at the end of the episode and he had put it together that obviously it had something to do with the listens. Well, in this current episode, the season finale, Jesse finds out that it was the listens and um, <laughs> he <laughs> gets into a physical confrontation with, um, with them about it. And it's funny. He, <laughs> out of nowhere he he takes like a slingshot out of his uh back pocket and um <laughs> they're like do you have a slingshot is that a slingshot 
And uh, <laughs> he he basically knocks him out. Oh, God. What? I forgot the... I, I forgot Mr. Listen's first name. Um, oh, Lyle. Lyle. Okay. So Lyle Listen... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> he's fighting with him and, uh, Jesse thinks that he killed him. I mean, like he knocked him out and he had like this, this is like this giant knot on his head. And, um, Jesse goes back to where everybody's sitting, like his whole family. So BJ, Judy, um, Amber, who is Jesse's wife, um, and, uh, Calvin, <laughs> they all, they're all standing there and, Jesse walks over and he's just like, um, will you please come with me? I just killed someone just like super casual, super, uh, curt. And he said it and delivers it the only way that Danny McBride can. And just like literally just turns and just shuffles away real quick. So they go back out to the beach where, uh, Lyle listen is laying. Wow. That's tongue twister in the sand. And, uh, he pops up, <laughs> like a freaking Daisy. And, uh, he starts arguing with them. And Lindy, who's his wife comes out with a gun and in the melee, BJ ends up getting shot. Of course, of course, because of all of them, who's going to get shot. It's going to be BJ. So, um, he ends up the, the listens force the gemstones to go, into the ocean so that they can escape. So they walk all like the water is so far back from the sand. So they're like walking all the way down the sand and then they finally get to the water and they wade in and the listens make their escape. And, uh, during all of this time, <laughs> all these crazy things are going on. So, um, aunt Tiffany goes into labor and, they're on a beach. There's like, there's nothing around them. They're in the middle of nowhere. They had just broken ground on a hotel, but they're just like in wilderness beach area. So she thinks she has to go to the bathroom and she runs to what's only there, which is a porta potty and realizes that she's in labor and the baby falls into the porta potty. So uncle baby Billy has to go and save his porta potty baby <laughs> like pull this thing out and like he's pulling it up by the cord and the cord breaks so then he has to like reach all the way down in there like really get down into the shit and he pulls the baby out and um I don't know if they ever mentioned the name I don't think they mentioned his name in the episode but um they drive off you know in Uncle Baby Billy's sports car it's him, Tiffany, and the baby. No car seat, just holding the baby, you know, at the end of the episode. Um, and you sort of think it's over. But then you find out that the listens escape to Alaska. And you see uh, <laughs> they're in like a cabin, sort of in the middle of nowhere. And... They're watching, I think they're watching Young Guns. Don't hold me to that, but I think that's the movie that they're watching where, um, like, a guy pops out of, like, a trunk or, like, a box, like, a big wooden box, okay? And he starts shooting everybody. So they're watching this movie. Well, then all of a sudden you hear a noise, and it's the psycho ninja 
assassins, but they're on snowmobiles. So now they're not motorcycle assassins. They're snowmobile assassins. And they come blazing up to the house in Alaska. And uh, the listens get like all their guns out. And, you know, we're going to do this. We can do this. You know, God is behind us or whatever. And then you hear like a crash. <laughs> like Lyle had put Lindy in like a wooden trunk and like threw her off the balcony. So she lands like bam on the ground and the box like breaks and she can't barely stand up. I mean, obviously you'd be incredibly injured if you did that and she can barely walk, but she realizes like, okay, this was a bad idea and she tries to escape and they assassinate her. So Lyle, uh, sees all of this and runs out the back door and takes off running. He's just like in his underwear, basically. And uh, you see him the next morning and uh, the wolves had, I guess, surrounded him, but he wasn't shot. He was just sort of Jack Torrance um, in the middle of this. I'm assuming it's a lake. And uh, so he's, yeah, he's like frozen solid, you know, in one of those like, oh, defensive postures and then you see like wolves slowly approaching him so I I enjoyed that little um shining reference I appreciate that I love those little movie references that get thrown in um I liked the wrap-up of the season I mean they they really wrapped everything up with a sweet little bow they gave um BJ a little bit of like family therapy before he got shot the, whole, the rest of the family was actually being nice to him and like bargaining for his life. And he just, you know, it was what he was looking for the whole season was acceptance by the family. Um, you know, Aunt Tiffany and Uncle Baby Billy are still together. You saw a glimpse of Harmon at the Gemstones Church with his family. Um, everything seemed to be great. And then you see at the very end, the hotel that they were building with the listens, which is called Zion. I think that's right. Um, you see now, instead of the listens church, it's the gemstones. So the gemstones now own all of that hotel and they're adding that to their repertoire of crazy things that they own. Um, Oh, and Eli gave money to Junior to help do renovations in his wrestling gym or arena, whatever they call those things. Um, so, yeah, it was great. Then um, I did watch I watched The Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. I know it's cheesy to watch how Real Housewives shows. I don't care. I enjoy them. It's just sort of mindless fun. And each city is so different and you get attached to different people on the shows. Um, it, there was just so much drama that played out this year. It's crazy to me that out of all the drama that happened, they continually focus just on Heather and Whitney feuding with Lisa for some reason. Like we don't talk about the fact that one of the cast members, um, has a huge trial coming up for potentially defrauding elderly people out of money. Um, or the fact that one of them is an alleged cult leader. I mean, what, how come we don't get to talk about this stuff on TV? I don't understand. I mean, they put their lives on TV and now we can't talk about it. So that's weird. Um, I wasn't super impressed by any of the dresses that the ladies wore. Usually they, they're all like super fancy and now it just sort of felt like they phoned it in. The dresses just 
they weren't super impressive this year. Um, besides that, nothing super big happened. Um, I mean, obviously this was filmed before, um, Jenny, uh, was discovered to have put a bunch of racist posts on Facebook and was kicked off the show. So they obviously weren't going to talk to her about any of that. None of that came up, but, um, you know, she did come across really hypocritical talking about race and how minorities should stick together when in reality she's posting basically anti-black statements on Facebook. I don't, I saw a couple of screenshots, but I, I mean, it's been, I don't know, six weeks now since, um, since I've seen them. So I don't remember, but I remember specifically, it was like all anti-black, no BLM, all lives matter kind of bullshit. Um, so, which is crazy to me too. Like, how did she get hired? Did nobody do their due diligence in checking to see, hey, do you have any racist social media posts that are literally easily found on the internet? Okay, yeah, no, you're not going to be hired. Sorry. Next. Um, which is sad because I wanted to like her and, you know, her storyline was somewhat interesting this year and, you know, now she turns out to be a racist, so she got fired. Sorry. Um... And I guess we'll see what happens next week. Then this weekend, I was, (laughs) I had logged into HBO just to basically find some background noise. And as soon as I, it came on, the first thing it showed was the French dispatch, which I've been waiting to see for months. And I was like, oh my God. So I, I dropped literally everything that I was doing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start watching this. So if you don't know anything about Wes Anderson, you're probably not going to find this movie funny. Wes Anderson has a very specific type of humor. It's kind of like um, British humor or um, like off the cuff sort of humor. So if you're into things that are basically what I call American humor, which is where it's dumbed down and where it's sort of um, slapstick comedy, you're not necessarily going to understand this comedy. I like to think of Wes Anderson as more intellectual humor. Um, there's a lot of sarcasm. There's a lot of um, situational humor. And he he writes things very subtly. So you definitely have to pay attention to not only the flowery language that he t- typically uses in his movies, but also the set and the costumes. I mean, everything is very intricately detailed in his movies. There's even an Instagram account and it's called accidentally Wes Anderson because his sets are very, they're very pleasing to look at. And it's crazy to me because as much attention that is given to the script and the language and he always uses very intricate words and descriptions when his characters are speaking so that you definitely need to, you can't just fuck around on your phone while you're watching one of his movies. You have to really pay attention to what's going on. But in addition to that, the scenes are always so pleasing to look at. And he likes to do scenes where you're very far back and you're seeing the entire building or you're seeing an entire um, set design and you see the characters moving about through the inside of it as um, as a whole, which is it's it's nice. It's it's one of those pleasing feelings and it's very relaxing to watch his movies, but they're so funny. 
And um, one of my favorite movies that he did was The Royal Tannenbaums. That might have actually been the first Wes Anderson movie I was really into. Um, I mean, obviously, he's done a ton of movies over the years. I think the last one that came out might have been Isle of Dogs. Don't quote me on that. But um, I mean, after the pandemic, I don't I don't know time. So it, <laughs> it, there could have been another one that snuck in there. But I think the French Dispatch has been the next one since then. So uh, the French Dispatch is broken down. And it's basically, um, it's like um, a magazine, The French Dispatch. And the movie is set in Paris. And, uh, but the movie is broken down sort of like a magazine. So you're reading slash viewing, I guess, four stories and then an obituary because the editor-in-chief, the owner, dies. So at the beginning of the film, which is narrated by Angelica Houston, you're told that this is what you're about to watch. So you're going to see some stories and then you're going to hear an obituary. So the very, the first story is, um, the cycling reporter and it stars Owen Wilson, who I hate. I hate him. I hate watching him. I hate his voice. I am not an Owen Wilson fan whatsoever, but in this very short story, he's riding a bike just through this, imaginary town in France and telling a story. And at one point he accidentally goes down some stairs and then he crashes. So I did enjoy his story just for the part where he is destroyed on a bike. That's awesome. Cause I kind of wished it would happen in real life. Uh, okay. <laughs> the second story that they tell is called the concrete masterpiece. And I think, think this might have been my favorite one. I kind of go back and forth between this one and the last story that they told. Not the obituary, but the last real story. So the concrete masterpiece has um, Benicio del Toro, and he plays this tortured artist who gets arrested. And um, he's arrested for, like, killing or maiming people. And uh, while he's in prison, he falls in love with a female guard at the prison and he does this abstract painting of her. So it's like this beautiful red abstract painting. <laughs> and it, like, it shows like when she's, when he's like painting her. Okay. So you see her, she's completely naked standing like in a perfect pose and he's painting her and he keeps like looking and painting and like looking and painting. And this goes on. And then, you know, they're done and they leave. And then you look at the painting and it's just sort of like red splotches on a canvas. Well, Adrian Brody happens to also be a prisoner. Um, and he sees the painting and he's like, oh, my God, this is the most marvelous painting ever. I'm going to turn this artist into the most famous artist ever. So he buys the painting and uh, he he does. He like gets all these people to like be hyped up about this great tortured artist in prison, blah, blah, blah. And, um, this, Oh, this entire story that I'm telling is being told in the movie by Tilda Swinton's character. And, um, she used to work for this, um, art collector who's played by Meg from the movie Twister. If you remember, <laughs> if you remember Aunt Meg who had the cows, 
Did you see my cows out front? No. Um, so <laughs> she plays this elderly lady who is an art collector and Tilda Swinton's, I guess, like her assistant. And um, so the story is being told through Tilda Swinton's eyes. And uh, <laughs> okay, so Adrian Brody gets out of prison because he just had something sort of small that he was in prison for, like tax evasion, right? And um, he tells Benicio Del Toro's character, like, you need to create something huge. We're going to do something huge and we're going to sneak all these art collectors in and we're, we're going to have like the biggest sale ever, you know, like we're going to blow up the art world. So it, there's like all this lead up and hype and they get back to the prison. So Adrian Brody's character and his two uncles, right. They sneak all of these fancy art people into the prison. They have to like bribe all of the guards to get them to let them in. They come in <laughs> and Benicio del Toro did not paint canvas paintings. He painted like these giant wall pieces onto the concrete in the prison. Like they're, it's literally on the walls of the prison. <laughs> and Adrian Brody is so mad because he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? Like, I can't take this anywhere. I can't sell this. And a huge fight breaks out in the prison. And, uh, Anyway, like, I don't want to spoil the end of it, but it's it's a really good story. It's just, it's so beautiful. And the funny thing about these movies is that I'm, I'm really not a fan of all the actors in The French Dispatch. There's probably three actors that I would be like, I enjoy them as an actor on a regular basis. And that's out of the entire cast. That's out of literally... Four different movies within a movie plus an obituary. <laughs> so um, the next movie or the next story that came up in the movie is called Revisions to a Manifesto. And it's got Timothy Chalamet, uh, Francis McDormand. Um, the other big name was Christoph Waltz. So Francis McDormand is, you know, obviously a middle aged single woman. And she goes to her friend's house for dinner and they invited without telling her a, uh, another single person to set her up with like on a blind date. And she's pissed. Like she's not asked for that. She's not interested in it. And, um, she ends up hooking up with their teenage son <laughs> who is played by Timothy Chalamet. And he's going through, um, these crazy times, like in his life, there's, um, <laughs> it's like they classify it as like a chess war and it's basically all these very young people and they're just, you know, protesting over everything, you know, not being allowed into the girls dormitory. And I mean, just like bullshit stuff that young kids are always protesting because they haven't really been out in the world. And Timothy Chalamet writes a manifesto and he gives it to Francis McDormand to read. And she, she like, makes revisions to it and like rewrites his manifesto and it turns into like a joke throughout the whole thing. Like you, you can't rewrite someone's manifesto. Like that's the whole point. And, um, so I, <laughs> that one, I was not as the story. I wasn't as into, I'm not super into all of the actors in the movie and it was a little, 
difficult for me to follow at first. Like I had to watch it and then sort of like reflect back onto it. Like, wait, what, what did I just watch? Um, but if you're a Timothy Chalamet fan, then you would probably be obsessed with it. There's a part where he's shirtless and he talks about how he's shy about his new muscles and it's, <laughs> it's adorable. Cause he's like, I don't know, 20 years old or something. Um, and then the last full story that they tell is the private dining room of the police commissioner. And um, that's told. So it's Jeffrey Wright is the writer and he, in the magazine, he writes stories about food and wine, I guess. Right. And um, he's on a talk show with Liev Schreiber and um, Liev Schreiber's character asks him to recall this particular story, the private dining room of the police commissioner and um, the craziness that happened when he went to dinner there one night. So he retells the story. And now that I'm saying it out loud, I think it was my favorite story. And I'm, I'm pretty glad it was the last one that they told instead of the first one. So he, he goes to the police station and um, he sits down for dinner. And this is just like four people having dinner. And if they make a part point of saying that one of the people sitting at the table looks like a corpse. <laughs> like he used to look really nice and now he looks like a corpse, right? Like they just make these like sort of sly casual comments in the movie, right? Okay. So the police commissioner that Jeffrey Wright's character is having dinner with has a son and he's a single dad. And right after they sit down to dinner, his son gets kidnapped by Edward Norton's character who just like, and it's so funny, like he drops in by like a, a skylight, right? So they break the glass, the rope comes down, he comes down and then you see him get like, some chloroform and then he literally like sneaks <laughs> like a cartoon character would sneak over and grab the kid and like takes off back out of the skylight and takes off and there's interjections of this part of the story where it's real life characters so it's like Jeffrey Wright and Edward Norton and these actual people doing these scenes and then it's intercut with cartoons so there's like a cartoon scene and um, in the cartoon scene, they're all chasing to find this kid, right? And the character that they described as a corpse is actually drawn to look like a corpse while they're while they're driving around. It's it's insane. It's stuff like that where it's like it makes me laugh so much because it's this little attention to detail. And you know, if they had said that casually about the person, like he looks like a corpse and then you're watching him later in the cartoon, you're like, he doesn't look like a corpse. No, they drew him to look like a corpse. And it's one of the things that's really funny. And so Edward Norton's character takes um, the son uh, back to his thieves lair. And Sir Sharonin is, um, is there. She's uh, sort of like a brothel type girl. And uh, she's in the house and, <laughs> so the boy is locked in this room and they're, they're trying to figure out a way to, to get the boy out. And so they send in the police commissioner's chef and he decides that he's going to poison the radishes. Okay. So he poisons the radishes. And um, so he makes his meal for everybody. And then they take a meal to the boy so that he can eat. 
So everybody eats all the radishes except for Edward Norton's character because he hates radishes and the little boy because he also hates radishes. And that's why the chef knew not to poison the radishes. And um, but after he made the food, Edward Norton's character was like, "Uh, uh, uh, you know, you try it, chef, and prove that it's not poisonous. So he eats everything. Well, then he almost dies, (laughs) but he he doesn't because he doesn't eat like enough of it that he can die. And Jeffrey Wright's character is talking to him after the entire situation is over and resolved. And he talks about how he had this poison and, but it was, he'd never had this taste before. And he starts describing this taste of poison. And it was really interesting because this is supposed to be, you know, a food and wine article. And it kind of was, but it was sort of just about the poison (laughs) and how it was just such a different taste. And I'd never had this taste before. And it was really interesting. And then uh, the very end is the obituary. Bill Murray is the um, editor in chief and the, the owner of the French dispatch. And he dies. And then it shows all of his um, co-workers, including all of the writers. And then you've got like Elizabeth Moss and Jason Schwartzman and Fisher Stevens And they're all just discussing different things about him. It's really good. It's really, really good. Um, It's quiet. It's just, um, if you ever saw the the Budapest Hotel movie that he did, what is that called? The, um, The Great Budapest Hotel. Okay, no, Grand, Grand. It's the Grand Budapest Hotel from like, I don't know, it's probably almost 10 years ago. Um, it, it felt a lot like that. And his movies are always so great. I never understand why they don't win nearly as many awards as they're afforded. Right. Um, the life aquatic is probably one of his best movies. Um, moonrise kingdom is really good. It's really sweet. Um, Yeah. And I I heard he's got another one coming out soon or filming soon. Maybe it's starting to film soon. So I'm excited to see that whenever it happens to come out. And then the last thing I was going to talk about. So I did. Obviously, I did not do my job and watch a bunch of things this weekend. It was just it was a really busy weekend. It was really crazy. And I didn't get to sit down and like really seek things out like I typically do. So, um, I watched the trailer for the new Jordan Peele movie, which is called Nope. And I'm really excited about it. And I've asked, it's funny, I've had a conversation with like, we'll say five different people in the last week. And I've asked them, you know, they'll start talking to me about, oh, have you seen the new Doctor Strange trailer? I'm like, obviously, I've seen it like 10 times. Um, And I'm like, have you seen the Nope trailer? And they're like, no, what's that? Come on, it's the new Jordan Peele movie. I'm like, you know, have you seen Get Out or Us? And they're like, no. What? How have you not seen Get Out or Us? They are so good. And I really, I have no idea how people couldn't have seen these movies because they're so amazing. Jordan Peele wrote and produced and directed Get Out and Us and now this new movie, Nope, that's going to be out this summer. And, um... So for those of you who have not seen his movies, you have got to do yourself a favor and check them out. They are 
so well written. And that's something that it's not <laughs> it's not very common these days. I mean, most of the time when I watch movies, it's like they spent either too much on the cast or they spent too much on the action sequence scenes or whatever. And they didn't spend enough time developing an actual script that you could follow that sort of made sense, that actually told a story that leave, that sort of leaves you thinking about it afterwards. Most of the time, I feel like when I leave movies, I'm like, I would love to forget what that I just had to watch this. So, um, so Get Out was from 2017. It's got Daniel Kaluuya, which kind of threw him into the limelight. He'd been an actor for multiple years. Um, he's British and he's been on a lot of British TV. So he'd done British TV for like a decade. And then um, this, I feel like, was his first like really big starring movie role. And especially a movie that got popular in the United States. And it's about... Um, this guy, Chris, and he's a black guy and he's dating a white woman and she's going to bring him home to meet her family this weekend. And she tells him, you know, you're the first black guy I ever dated, but it's totally fine. You know, my parents aren't racist, blah, blah, blah. Of course, of course, she's going to say this. And um, so she, they go to the house and it's like upstate New York. You know, her family's obviously rich and um but they have two people who work at the house who happen to be black and things start slowly going awry over the weekend of them staying there. And, um, it turns into this crazy, like psychological, like sci-fi type movie. And it's interesting. Like people classify it as a horror movie. I don't, I don't necessarily think it's a horror movie because I mean, while it's got scary elements, it, it's very much more, science fiction because it's talking about like basically implanting brains into other people and hypnotherapy. And, um, so anyways, but it's got this very Hitchcock feel to it where it's, um, like you're not quite sure what's around the corner and I don't, I really don't want to spoil it because I think it's definitely something that you, you need to like watch and like experience, but um, I I was like, how does this guy not get more attention? Jordan Peele should be literally everywhere. He should be, instead of me just saying right now, like I just did, it's a lot like Hitchcock. We need to get to where we're like, wow, that's really like Jordan Peele. Because, and I think I said this in the first episode, either first episode or last episode, where I was saying that I felt like Rob Zombie really just kind of took Texas Chainsaw Massacre and just changed the name and some of the characters and he made House of a Thousand Corpses. But Jordan Peele didn't do that. He didn't take anything. He like he really created this very original idea. What feels like an original idea. I mean, there's probably elements from other movies. I mean, it's not the first person to be like, we're going to move a brain to this person. I mean, everybody's seen Frankenstein, right? But to make it more updated for current times to make it really fucking scary. And then um, like a couple years after that, he did this movie called us and I didn't see us until after I walked through the universal studios, house of horror nights, um, haunted house that they did for us. 
And it was super scary. And I was like, what the fuck? Why are there rabbits everywhere? Like, why are there creepy people in like dressing? It was so weird. And um, so then I saw the movie and it's got um, Lupita Nyong'o, who is an amazing actress, obviously. Um, I think her first really big um, movie star role was 12 Years a Slave, I think was her first big role. And that really thrust her into the limelight as being, you know, just a flawless actress. But it's also got um, Winston Duke, who plays her husband. And you'll you would know him from the Black Panther movie if you've seen Black Panther, which you should because it's amazing. Um, He plays the um, the character M'Baku, who was the um, opposite tribes leader, the one that they go to at the end for help. So, um, so us is about a family, family of four, mom, dad, daughter, son, and they're going on vacation and, um, they're going back to this place that the mom who's Lupita Nyong'o's character had gone to as a kid. So as a kid, she went to her parent with her parents to this boardwalk in California and she like wanders away from her parents and goes into this like fun house. At night, so obviously this is like the worst decision ever. But um, while she's in this mirrored funhouse, she comes across like a doppelganger of herself. And um, like she freaks out and then the, the scene cuts out. And then now it's present day and she's an adult and she's married with her kids. They're going back to this place where um, she had this trauma happen. And um, while they're at the house... like night comes and these four doppelgangers of their family show up. And it, it turns out that um, each person has a doppelganger that lives underground and is like mimicking your movements underground and like doing all the same things that you're doing just underground and just living the same life as you, but are stuck underground and the people underground are tired of it and they're going to rise up and they're going to kill their above ground counterparts. And it is so crazy. It's like an, a legit horror movie. It's terrifying. Um, the character that Lupita Nyong'o's character underground, her, the underground character's name is red and the above ground character. I think her name was Addie. So red has this like, like raspy, like, guttural voice and it's like it like gives you shivers I don't know how she did that voice I literally have no idea how she did that it would have made my throat hurt so bad to talk like that for so long um (laughs) acting but uh it's terrifying it's one of those things that like haunts you like you you hear it like days later after you've seen it you can like still kind of hear that creepy voice in your head like Jesus oh my god I hate it and um So I don't want to spoil the ending of that one either. It's really, really good. The ending was definitely a plot twist that I didn't see coming. And um, it was really impressive, too, because once again, it's like, wow, it's this is something I haven't seen before, which is really hard to do for horror movies, because usually I've seen it before, whatever. So if you look up the trailer for Nope, which I saw, 
I don't remember if it was on the Super Bowl that they had the trailer. Or if it was like around the Super Bowl that I saw it for the first time. And um, so this is what I've gathered from the trailer so far. I think this movie is going to be about aliens is what it's sort of implied, right? But um, Daniel Kaluuya is going to be in it and um, Kiki Palmer is going to be in it. Uh, you would know Kiki Palmer. The first big movie she did was as a kid. It was that movie, um, Aquila and the Bee, about the the little girl in the spelling bee. And um, But now she's a grown-up, and she's also an amazing actress. And uh, so I can't figure out... I, I don't know if they're married or... I can't figure out the connection. They don't really imply in the movie if they're a couple or if they're family. But... Um, so they have like a horse training farm for Hollywood horses is what it's they sort of mention. And um, Kiki Palmer says that her great, great, great grandfather was it, in the very, 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 very first motion picture that they had um, that they that was made ever. It was a man riding a horse. Right. And so that man riding the horse was supposedly Kiki Palmer character. Kiki Palmer's character. Oh my God, I can't talk today. Her great, great, great grandfather. So they're continuing this legend of their family with horses in movies and they're training horses to be in movies. Okay, that's the setup. And this horse farm just happens to be in like, I thought it was literally the desert. I guess it's Hollywood, the desert of Hollywood. I don't know. Is that Palm Springs? And, um... So then shit starts happening, right? So there's like, you know, those scenes where it's sort of like flashes and you just see like very quick images of what's about to take place. So you see sort of um, like lights in the distance and then the lights go out. Um, You see like different scenes with the horses where like there's a horse taking off. You see somebody falling off a horse. But then you're like, okay, well, are these scenes from when the shit's going to hit the fan or is this stuff from them training the horses? And this is part of what the horses are trained to do. And then, um, you see like these little alien stuffed animals. And then you see this big arena ring and this lady who's got this crazy burned face. Um, I mean like the first, the very first time I saw the trailer, I thought it was an alien. I was like, ha. And then I watched it again and I was like, Oh my gosh, she's just completely disfigured from something. And, um, then you see, um, a scene where it's like, it looks like there's an alien spacecraft. And then you see, uh, what looks like Kiki Palmer's character getting sucked up into the sky. It's crazy. It literally looks crazy. And when you watch it, you pretty much do the nope. (laughs) And I love it. And I'm like, yep, I'm definitely going to see it. I'm really excited about it. Um, But yeah, definitely check out Jordan Peele's movies, please. God, do yourself a favor. They're so, like, as far as movie goes, they're generally pretty low-budget movies, like $20 million movies. And then they have all grossed, like, well over $200 million because that's how amazing they are, is that people keep going back to see them over and over. And um, I tried to look and see if any of them were streamed any of them like he's written other movies but the only two that he like wrote produced and directed all together were get out and us and i look to see if they're streaming on anything right now but they're not so you may have to pay like a whole three dollars and watch it on amazon but i promise 
it's definitely worth it. And I guess that's about it because I was really lazy and I didn't watch a whole lot of stuff this week. Um, I turned on HBO last night and um, all the Resident Evil movies, except the newest one, are all streaming on HBO. So um, if you really want to waste your life and watch some really shitty horror movies with really bad actors and really stupid plot lines and really dumb looking characters, definitely spend your time watching the Resident Evil movies. They're all pretty much exactly the same. You'll see uh, Mila Jovovich naked at some point in the movie. She will do some weird, ridiculous action moves. Some guy will say some critically ridiculous line in the movie. Um, Guns. There'll be weird dogs. Uh, It's pretty much, it's like the Fast and the Furious movies. I don't know which one is worse. Um, If you watched all the Fast and Furious movies, I'm sorry. I don't know why you're listening to this right now because we probably have nothing in common. Um, (laughs) if you've seen the Resident Evil movies, it was probably like me where you just got sucked into them and then you're like, all right, now I got to see where this ends. So, um, yeah, they're all on there and they're available to watch. And I think that's about it. And I'm going to bring this to a close this week. So I will chat with you guys next week and hopefully I will have found some new material and some new things to, to discuss. So thank you for listening, and I'll talk to y'all soon. Okay, bye. Thanks for joining me, and be sure to check out the podcast on social media. Talk to y'all soon. Bye.